Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Freaking first cut. Golly! Welcome to the First Cut Podcast. I'm Rick Gaiman, and this is your DFS preview for this week's Honda Classic. And joining me to break it all down, Greg Ducharme is here. Greg, hey, buddy. Here we go. Another week. The Florida swing continues. I, this is when like, I can't. I just can't believe that we had we get to do this again, again. Right? We just had the players, and we're resetting already. Right to right to the Honda Classic. I love it. Yeah, this used to be like the first leg of the Honda Swing. Now it is the last leg this year, which has some scheduling implications. We'll, we'll talk about those in just a second. But Sia Najad is here. Sia, welcome back. Happy Monday. Happy Monday. Yeah, to pick up on your point, this one's lacking a little bit of star power, but I might be there. It's only 45 minutes up the road, so maybe maybe uh, that's kind of a cool thing. Uh, Rick, by the way, nice call on Justin Thomas last week. Thank you. Thank you. I'm happy to continue the victory lap here on a Monday. Thank you very much. Uh, hopefully, we can find just as much success this week uh, as we did last week. Looking forward to it. Um PGA National. But before we get into that, hold on. Before we get into that, Greg, I, I think th- this is a one of the bad things about having an unbelievably loaded schedule where we went, I'm going to do this off the top of my head, WGC, Arnold Palmer, Players Championship, and there's a WGC next week is that this event is the natural resting spot. And it is not a yeah. knock against PGA National, which is an awesome course. The Honda Classic is an awesome event, but it, this is a tough spot on the schedule in 2021. You forgot the Genesis the week before that. and the Genesis. Yeah. Right. So like, it, yeah, it's a, it is, um, unbelievable the schedule that they put together. And look, if you're the PGA tour, you you're doing your job and everybody isn't going to get, because you play a tournament every week, there are going to be some that people gravitate towards. The challenge is how many elevated events there are, right? It, it limits the choice that players have when you have, an event that it gives you uh, a three-year exemption and a significantly higher purse than an event that gives you a two-year exemption and a lower purse. If you're choosing between the two, the choice is almost made for you, right? You have to play in the events that are elevated if you have the opportunity. So it makes it a little bit difficult. But I will say the Honda Classic before has had uh, difficult spots in the schedule pretty much ever since the PGA moved to May. The Honda got into a tough spot. Um, and that was 2018. Now that year, Keith Mitchell won, but mm. Ricky Fowler and Brooks Kepka were right there posted at eight under. It made for a great tournament wire to wire. And it brings up an idea. And I want to get your thoughts. We've never talked about this, um, but I think it's a cool idea for the official world golf rankings. I think they should have a strength of field before and a strength of field after a bicameral classifications. Maybe Sia can talk about this too, but where you say, okay, on Sunday on the leaderboard, you had, um, of the, of the top players, this many players were in contention right there in the mix. And the winner should get a little bump for that. Like, I think Daniel Berger's win at the Pebble beach pro-am was a lot better of a win and more impressive of a win than the world Mm. golf championships gives him credit for because of the cream rising to the top. What do you guys think? That that's kind of interesting. Uh, I, I I actually got uh, thinking about the post strength of field stuff from uh, who tweeted this out. Maybe Lou Brown, who's like one of the funniest people on golf Twitter, uh, saying, "Hey, if you want to go really crazy, uh, at, uh, give out the majors after the year to the four events that had the the highest strength of field." Interesting. How about that? Right. I mean, if you want to call it a major, I mean, uh, historically, the Masters is not that strong of a field, right? It's 100 guys. A lot of them are past champions who aren't going to contend. You've got some amateurs in there. Uh, you talk about a, a, a player's championship or a PGA championship uh, tends to get some stronger fields as well. So it's it's kind of an interesting thought. I don't have any idea about doing it afterwards, like you mentioned, Greg, but it's like it's kind of an interesting thought exercise. Yeah. Well, the, the Masters, for instance, has the top players. They get 
up near the top. It, it creates such a great finish because ultimately on Sunday, on Sunday afternoon, on the second nine, you don't really care too much about the past champions that are in the field and are finishing early or miss the cut or something like that. They don't really have much of an effect at that point where you're, if you're, um, if you're Patrick Reed going up against uh, Francesco Molinari and Tiger Woods and all the, and Brooks Kepka and all the players that he went up against, you're, you're winning in a strong field once the field has shrunk down to size. So I don't know, maybe there's a way to calculate that. The, the other interesting thing when we get weeks like this, Sia, are I get a lot of emails or I get a lot of, you know, tweets or whatever that are like, ah, maybe I'm just gonna like not play as much this week, wait for the WGC. And like, I understand that thought process, but to me, these are the weeks that like, if you're listening to this, if you're doing the research, if you have the data, if you know the golfers, these are the better weeks, right? Like I feel like there's the edge is larger, even if there is a lot more volatility at a place like PGA national, I feel like the edges are bigger here. I totally agree. I mean, you are looking at players now that, you know, people like us or people that play DFS on a, on a very routine basis, they've studied these players. Like it's almost better when the big ticket guys are out of there because those are kind of easy picks to make, especially when you have pricing like we did last week, you know, you had really fair and reasonable pricing, especially in that 9K, 8K, even 7K range, it was almost too easy to pick a team. Now, it didn't turn out that way, right? Because like, like you tweeted out, nine of the 17 top price players missed the cut. So, you know, it, it was easy in theory. But my point here is you're right. There are guys in that 7K range it, well, now that have been priced up in the 8K, 9K range that are to some people, hey, I'm going to pass right over this guy. But to people who have really studied it or are studying it currently, they've got an edge here. And this, uh, to me, these are the tournaments you should actually be focused more on in terms of maximizing your DFS revenue or, or stream. Because again, there's an edge here for sure. I think that's an interesting point too, Sia, because um, the when you have a field like last week, it it almost it's hard to differentiate between the two. Is it a great pick to go with Justin Thomas at the beginning of the week. Yes, Rick, it, it, it's a great pick, but what's different? What differentiates that pick from, um, from picking Bryson or picking DJ or you're taking a risk at some point and it, it's easy to make really great looking lineups beforehand. This one, you got to piece it together a little more. And I think it gives you an opportunity. It, it almost highlights the skill. It highlights the research as Rick said. So I, I, I agree. I like these weeks. All my lineups look great on Wednesday evening, by the right. way, Greg. It's, it's yeah, Sunday it's Sunday too. evening that things look a little bit different. I've got winners or a winner from last week for a free year subscription to Sportsline, where you can get award-winning picks. You can get access to the patented Sportsline model. And all you have to do is leave a five-star rating and review in Apple, I, Apple Podcast for the first cut. Drop in a player who is going to miss the cut this week at the Honda Classic. Leave your Twitter handle so we can get in touch with you and make sure you're following at First Cut Pod on Twitter so that we can DM you. Last week's winner, Jay Smitty09. Congratulations, free year subscription to Sportsline. Also, it's March, so you know that that means we are doing a bracket challenge, and I want to tell you what our friends at Sportsline are up to for bracket week. Get every pick, every play, every upset, and fill out your bracket with the help of some of the best sports data analysts in the game. Visit Sportsline now to see which teams will make and break your bracket and see who cuts down the nets, all from the model that beat nearly 90% of brackets last tournament one year after finishing in the top five percent well pga national action this week see ya and as we continue to say it's florida golf there are big numbers lurking pga national was the third most difficult course on the schedule last year and we all know the bear trap 15 16 17 one of the most difficult stretches in all of golf is certainly going to show its teeth over the course of the week it's going to be a tough week. I mean, let's be honest. Not only is this a really tough course, but it looks like we're going to have wind mixed in here probably for all four days. I know it's kind of an early forecast right now, but I mean, what I'm seeing right now is anywhere between 10 and 20 miles per hour. So you add that condition, which is a common condition here, of course, but you add that to an already tough course and frankly, a field that isn't super, super strong. So, I mean, I think you're going to see a lot of struggles. I think the cut line is going to be really low and we're just going to have to deal with that type of carnage. So, um, you know, for me, I'm definitely focused on, you know, ball strikers. But uh, regardless, I think we're going to see a week where um, a lot of players struggle. 
Yeah, coming down the stretch in 2020, as Sung J M ended up winning, Greg, you know, Tommy Fleetwood struggled a little bit. It's a par 70. You are really being asked to be very precise on a lot of your shots, which again is is no different than what we've said uh both at Bay Hill and at TPC Sawgrass. Big numbers can add up very, very quickly here. Yeah, it's a very similar story. There's there's water all over the place. There are some shots where you just you know, you you can't bail. There's nowhere that is safe. It, there's no good options other than stepping up and hitting the shot. So some guys thrive in that. Others don't. It makes for great theater. Uh, it just makes for some frustrating play. There there will be a lot of players who are frustrated in the field this week. Um, but it's up and down. There's birdie opportunities. It's not a long golf course. Uh, it's not going to punish you that way, but it will it will test you mentally on every single shot. So um, I, I think that this kind of carnage is very exciting because it's more of that double bogey. It's extremely volatile where you can make birdies on just about any hole uh, on any hole. You can make a birdie on any hole. There's a way to play the shot. And at the same time, the penalty for miss is a little bit more extreme. Let's jump into the $10,000 range on draft King Sung J M your defending champion leads the way at 11,000 flat Daniel Berger, 10,800 Lee Westwood. Who's in the midst of a run right now at 10,006 Joaquin Neiman at 10,004. And then your 2016 champion, Adam Scott checks in at 10,001 and see what I noticed immediately in this pricing range is that Sung J M as the most expensive golfer, is only $11,000. I started to click through my database, started to figure out when the last time we saw the most expensive golfer be this cheap. And I got back to the tournament of champions where I found Dustin Johnson was 11,000, but that's a 42 man field. That doesn't count. I mean, it has been a while since we've had a full field event where the most expensive player is this cheap. Yeah, it's it's not really a surprise, though, I guess, because it's Sung J.M. at the top at the end of the day. And by the way, I think it probably should be reversed here. I think it should probably be Daniel Berger at 11,000 and Sung J.M. at 10,800. But not that that's a huge deal. But yeah, it's it's interesting. I mean, I guess in theory, that gives you some room to take the top guy and you'll be able to fit a little bit more in than you normally would with like an 11,600 guy like we've had over the past few weeks. Um, it's interesting, though. I, I really I look at this list, Rick, and I really like Daniel Berger. I really love his ball striking, particularly the last 12 rounds. Rounds, off the tee, on approach, he's been really fantastic. Um, as far as Sungjae is concerned, I, I understand the track record. I mean, obviously he's the defending champ, but you know his approach really hasn't been that good lately. You know, he he turned it around this last tournament, but the three tournaments prior to that, he was losing on approach in in kind of in a significant way. I believe it was either a half a stroke or more in the three tournaments prior. I just don't think that's necessarily the right formula here. Um, Berger lost a little bit with the putter last week, but otherwise was really, really good and has been good again for so long. So I like Berger quite a bit and uh, I like Joaquin Neiman a little bit as well. Yeah, I think Neiman's going to be pretty popular. I think in in a lot of DFS circles, um, you know, he's someone that we like on a weekly basis. We see the upside. We've seen the streakiness that turns into fantasy points, Greg. But I, I'm probably focused on the top here. The, the Sung JM at 11,000, the Daniel Berger at 10.8. Sung Jay's been unbelievable with his putter, which is a little bit scary, but he's now on a stretch where it, it, that's, that's what he does. Uh, his driver's been awesome. He's got to just figure out that approach game. But Berger... Berger's doing the blueprint. He did exactly the same thing that he did at Pebble. Uh, he did it last week, except he lost two and a half strokes with his putter. That, that's literally the only difference. Every other metric uh, is almost identical to what he did at Pebble Beach, which makes me think that, as we talk about all the time, his path to victory is really, really wide. It's one of those things where you look at, we've talked about this with Abraham answer, where you look at the field list and it's alphabetized on Friday night or Saturday morning or something. <laughs> and Daniel Berger's name pops up there. And I feel like every week I circle it. So I, I wonder, am I just too high on this guy too? But no, He's so consistent. He is so steady. His form is so good. And he is a great play every week. So I, I think he's the safest play in the field, uh, especially in this in this range here. And and I, I'm a huge fan of Daniel Berger this week. I, he was the first guy that I circled. Um, and he, that was even after I took out the bias for his last name, starting with a B. <laughs> the B so, bias. Right. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. He It doesn't hurt that he came in tied fourth last year. 
In 2015, in his first trip, he came in second. It's going to be one of those tough mental challenges where the scores aren't going to get crazy low this week. You may see a single-digit under-par winner. Um, and and I think that suits Daniel Berger's game very nicely. So I, I'm all in with you guys. Berger's the first guy. I circled Neiman's name too, but I feel a lot less confident with him than I do with Berger. Uh, and, and it could be Sung JM's week, but look, I mean, we never go with the defending champion, right? <laughs> of all defending champions, like this is this is probably. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he's like the favorite again, right? So it's like uh, this could be it, but yeah, it, it's it's still very unlikely that that any any one of these guys individually wins the golf tournament. You know, there's there's a couple other names here. See, uh, Lee Westwood, who I imagine. If you were paying $10,600 for Lee Westwood, you know something uh, that I don't uh, because this is like $2,500 more expensive than he's ever been, $10,600. And then Adam Scott, uh, he's been fine. I mean, I don't know. I don't know any other way to describe his play. He's been, he's been making the cut every single week. Uh, he's got one top 10, I believe since his victory at, at Riviera last year, which is like now at this point, 14 starts or something like that. So I, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not getting the needle movement from Adam Scott that I, that I wish I had. Yeah. And you know, he's making cuts, but he's really not scoring many points for you over the weekend. He's, he's kind of wilting and you can tell that by his finishing position. As far as Westwood is concerned, you, we talked about before the show, you know, does he actually play this tournament? We're not so sure. I think there's certain implications to him playing this tournament and being su- successful with respect to you know the FedEx Cup standings and, and things of that nature it, to the extent he actually wants to capitalize on that. But Westwood's interesting because his recent form is so good, but also you know he was fourth here last year, so he definitely and we can't deny the form and the, and can he do it for three tournaments in a row? I'm not so sure. I mean, again, this is kind of an expensive price. If he was you know 9,800, it, it might be a different consideration. So that's probably why I won't be on him. If, if the ownership comes out a certain way where Lee Westwood is very lowly owned, then maybe it's a different analysis. But uh, Adam Scott, Lee Westwood, uh, not super interested right now. I, I, I just I think Adam Scott may be a little bit more interesting. You look at some of these finishes and I, I just I wonder if he's had a hard time going low enough. And this may be the venue where he doesn't have to make a ton of birdies. He can kind of play to. His strengths, which ironically, the putting has kind of been his strength this year so far, <laughs> yeah. which is the one thing that really worries me. But the scoring, if you look at his scores, they're not extremely high. He did shoot a high round at, uh, at concession, but they're generally on the lower side, but they're not crazy low. A lot of 70 to 72. And playing in that range isn't necessarily a bad thing this week. You hope that that's you know, 78 to 68, but you could win a tournament here shooting four rounds of 68 and you could definitely win that way. That's a pretty good take. And I want to remember that as we go through the rest of the, I'm still worried about Adam Scott's driver and all that stuff. He's been hemorrhaging strokes off the tee, but I think that the idea that this right four 68s, What's that? Eight under that. Right. That probably wins. That That's probably it. <laughs> yeah, Especially so if the wind gets closer to that 20 mile an hour mark. I, I think you're right. And there are some guys that are really solid, but don't necessarily have the ability to go low for four straight rounds. I, I think that's something we need to keep in mind moving forward. I'm glad you brought that up early here, Greg. 9K range. Um Starts with Russell Henley at 9,800. There is going to be a gap here because Gary Woodland withdrew. More on that in a second. Taylor Gooch, 93. Shane Lowry, 92. Cameron Tringale, 9,100. And then Chris Kirk rounds us out at 9,000. So an already small range gets smaller with the Woodland withdrawal. And see, I'm going to do this off the top of my head. Woodland's out. Uh, Piercy's out. Both those guys tested positive for COVID on Monday morning. Harmon... I believe with Drew Early and uh, Sam Burns also out. I believe those are the withdrawals we've had since this field came out on Friday afternoon. Yeah, All I right. think you're right. Okay. Uh, what do you think about this 9K range that now has a big gap from Russell Henley down to Taylor Gooch? It's a $500 gap in a spot where we don't normally see a jump that big. Yeah, it's true. I think Russell Henley is going to be pretty popular because if you look at his approach numbers, I mean, most people that are doing models, Russell Henley is going to be somewhere, whether you go back, you know, 24 rounds, 50 rounds, whatever it is, Henley is going to be way up there, if, if not one or two on approach specifically. Um, he's a guy, personally, I'm going to have to monitor his ownership. I'm not the biggest Russell Henley fan. And frankly, he hasn't, while he's been great 
on approach. He hasn't been great off the tee as of late. You know, last week wasn't that great for him either, but I'll I'll give him a pass there. Uh, what really jumps out at me here is uh, Cameron Tringali. I, I, I've I've been on him for a while. You know, he's been sort of hit or miss, particularly the last couple of weeks. But I think this is a, a perfect course for him. Uh, I think you know the ball striking should be there. Uh, Cameron and Chris Kirk are guys that I'm going to be focused on in this range. I was ready to be lock button all in on an $8,500 Taylor Gooch, Greg. I was ready for it. I was, I was prepared mentally. I was prepared physically. He came out at $9,300 and I'm like, Oh boy, I'm getting a little nervous here, but uh, Taylor Gooch is really good. And, and here's a couple of things. He's got the results, right? He's got the fifth place finish at the players. He finished 12th at Riviera, but he was in that group with Max Homa, which I think was the penultimate group. So he actually played better than his results indicate. He didn't have a great Sunday. And what I like about Gooch, Greg, and I don't want to compare him to Sung Im, but remember when Sung Im came out and like anybody you talk to was like, wow, Sung Jae's the real deal. He's awesome. Like Taylor Gooch is very well respected amongst his peers, especially with his ball striking. He's starting to put more uh, better finishes together. Like I, I really like Gooch. I'm a bit more hesitant at 9,300 because we play a salary cap game, but I in general am very bullish on this guy. I think he may be worth that 9,300 um, okay. in this field, especially. I, I He was... He and uh, Shane Lowry were the two names that I circled in this group. So um, the thing I like about Gooch is he's one of those, he's one of your positive in every strokes gain category guys, right? He's very well-rounded. He's 48th in putting, which is fine. He gains a little bit off the tee, 85th, 73rd approach the green, gaining, 58th around the green, gaining. I, I mean, he's 39th in strokes gain total. So that gives you a pretty good idea of what he's all about. Maybe a little bit inaccurate off the tee, but they're not wild misses. So I do like Gooch for that reason and others, the 12th at the Genesis, as you mentioned. But again, he's another one of those guys that doesn't seem to go crazy low. Um, and a lot of the events where he does really well um, are are some of the tougher events, like the Houston Open. It always seems to play a little bit tougher. So, uh, yeah, I, I really like um, Shadow Creek. Another one, I guess he kind of he shot 16 under at Shadow Creek. But I, I think Taylor Gooch is ready to kind of take the next step. And at the beginning of the year, he was the guy that I thought would make the big biggest from kind of outside the top 100 in the world to inside. I thought he was a guy that would make a really big jump. So I, I really like him. And Shane Lowry is another guy that I like. I like his mm. ability to handle the weather. I love the eighth place finish last week. He's normally a guy that I kind of try to stay away from, but he, he drives the ball really well. He drives it really accurately. He's 30th on tour um, in strokes gain off the tee, and he hits it under 300 yards. So that tells you that he's positioning the ball in great spots. And you think about a uh, an Irishman in windy conditions in Florida. <laughs> it, it just it seems to make sense. And his finishes here have gotten better each and every time. Tied 53rd in 16, tied 49th in 18, and tied 21st in 2020. I, I think Shane Lowry may be set for another great week. I, I want to circle back on um, the idea of what happened last week, Sia, especially because Cameron Tringale was one of the guys that you pointed out. And he missed the cut last week and he missed the cut. I think it was the first time in, I don't know, 8, 10, 12 events. He, he had been on a pretty good stretch. Are, are we willing to, I, I'm almost willing to just like completely write off. If you missed the cut last week, I don't care, right? It's just, there was so much carnage. It's, it's a volatile course as it is. It got a lot of the big name players. I'm certainly not going to hold it against the studs. I shouldn't hold it against anybody else either. Right. Am I just like fine with a miscut? Yeah, in this case, you are. Because again, the, the, the players was such a different event. I mean, you, you know, you look at your DFS lineups and, it, you know, not yours specifically, but mine, whoever's, it's just, it's just was carnage. I mean, it's one of those things where, and, you, and that can happen here too, where you can just get caught up on a hole and all of a sudden you have missed the cut. So again, Tringali, let, let's put Tringali in perspective a little bit. Ever since the Amex, He's gained in ball striking every single tournament, Amex included. I mean, he is a classic ball striker. He's just really striping it off the tee and on approach. I think there was one tournament only since the Amex where he actually lost on approach, but he gained an overall ball striking because of what his numbers were off the tee. So at 9,100, I actually think, you know, it's it's interesting. Yes is the answer to your question, but I do want to circle back a little bit to Taylor Gooch and Shane Lowry because... 
those are really smart DFS plays, I think. You know, when I think of what people will look at when they see this 9K range, I, I do think people will grab a Sungjae or or Daniel Berger in the 10K range. That doesn't leave them a lot of leverage or a lot of latitude to like spend up, right? So they'll probably take one guy in this range. Henley is popping in everybody's model. And if you yeah. don't take Henley, you're probably going to pay down to names you're very familiar with, at least lately, Cameron Tringali and Chris Kirk, who has been really, really good lately. What you're not going to instinctively do is, is pay a Taylor Gooch price, which Rick, as you said, seems to be a little, you know, escalated and a Shane Lowry, who frankly, you know, people, you know, they know the name, but they, they generally aren't on Shane Lowry. He's usually one of the lowest owned guys uh, when it comes to these these tournaments. So or a high end guy in these tournaments. So I think you know, those are really smart, like slightly contrarian plays. But the short answer to your question is, yeah, I'm absolutely willing to forgive Cameron from last week. Yeah, that's pretty sharp. There's going to be a lot of kind of um I don't know if they're going to be weird builds, but I think, I think what you've laid out is probably where most people are going to start. And then of course, as the week goes on, we'll get a better grasp of what some of these projected ownership numbers are as people do start to build lineups. We're going to get into the 8k range. We're going to get into this, the spicy seven, see if we can find some value down there. But first we're going to take a quick break and hear a word from our partners. The all new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. And that's because the all new Hyundai Santa Fe has some great features like the available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third row seating, available dual wireless charging pads, and much, much more. So think about those places that you want to go, the things that you'd like to do this weekend and where the Santa Fe can take you. Learn more about the all new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. And we're back. We want you to compete with us in a bracket challenge game. I know I'll be there. In fact, I've already put my bracket in. Uh, Kyle will be there. Greg, Greg, you going to be there, buddy? I'll be there. Count me in. I see you're in for this. Oh, I'm so in. Obviously, we'll get coach. We'll get Mark. We'll all be in there and we want you as well. A link to join is in the description. And how about this? The winner gets $100 gift card to Paramount plus. That's pretty good. Uh, And who enters just one pool. You can also create a group and compete against your friends. Fill out your bracket for the chance to win a Nissan rogue and a trip to the 2022 final four. Wow. And you can play on the CBS Sports app or at cbssports.com. $8,000 range. Greg, this is normally where we see the the players in this range start to expand. We start to get like a pretty big $8,000 range and then like a huge $7,000 range. Not not really so much here. Okay, it starts with Ricky Fowler and Doug Gim. It goes down to Benny on and Wyndham Clark, but there's maybe what 10 or 12 names in this range. It's it's much smaller than we would expect. And we've got to parse through it here and find what we want to take out of it. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of in this uh this same boat as I was with Shane Lowry here. And the guy that jumps off the page for me, Ricky, I Ricky loves the place, but I I can't go with him. And I, w- I worry about the Sunday that Doug Gim had, if that really hurts him. I was I was looking at Doug Gim for this week on, you know, Thursday, Friday, Saturday and Sunday. Just I, I, <laughs> I'm interested to see how he does, but I don't think I want to play that. And so the next guy that really catches my eye, they're at 85 and 8400 and it's Matt Wallace and it's Keegan Bradley. I think Keegan Bradley is really striking the ball well, and I don't think his Sunday round is going to have a big effect. But Matt Wallace is a guy that I really like at this golf course. I, I think it um, I think it fits his game. He's another one of those tough. Um, he's a he's a tough kid. And and I think he has the ability to handle windy conditions. I think he has the ability to navigate the the water. Um, he's an he's an impressive guy to me. And the reason is 
he's really good on his approach game and he's really good putting. He's 12th for the year strokes gain approach, 33rd strokes game putting. So um, again, a little worried about his accuracy, but I think he's one of those guys that can club down very well. And I think he'll, he'll find his way around this place. I think we are going to learn a lot about Doug Gim this week, um, whether it is just scar tissue that he's going to build up or maybe it sets him back for a couple of weeks. But he's been listen, it is it was not just limited to the first three rounds of the Players Championship. Doug Gim has been good in 2020, uh, excuse me, 2021 this season. So I, I'm interested to see if he gets back to just, OK, I'm going to be a great ball striker. Uh, I felt I felt the heat of the battle. I mean, I see ya. this guy's got to play the final rounds of the players championship with Justin Thomas, like as JT's going just absolutely nuclear. Like I don't even, I don't even care that he, what, what he shoot is 78 or whatever. Like, yeah, that would have happened to a lot of guys. Yeah, with with by the way, millions on the line. So I mean, I, <laughs> yeah. I totally get it. I'm not going to fault a guy for for one bad round, particularly on that course, because that course and and maybe this one too. Once it starts unraveling, like you're in really big trouble. Like there, you know, there's not a lot of like comebacks you can make. I mean, obviously there were there were plenty of eagle opportunities in, in some easier holes, but once it starts unraveling, especially for a younger guy that doesn't have the pedigree of a Justin Thomas, I think it's really hard mentally to fight back for that. So you know, D- Doug Gim is in a weird category though with that 8,800 price tag. Now, obviously everybody's going to be priced up because there's not a lot of talent at the top, but still this seems kind of high. And when you consider builds, I've already kind of done some builds it's really hard to take a Doug Gim at 8,800 and get the guys you want at the top uh, unless you want to dip down to the 6k uh, low 7k range and I got to say Greg I I think you hacked my computer because those are the two guys I like to Matt Wallace and Keegan Bradley I particularly like Keegan Bradley I love how he played last week I mean he was really killing it in the ball striking department. But in general, we know he's a great ball striker. And the putter, I don't want to say it's turned around because we know how volatile putting can be. But at least I can say this. The putter looks to be improving, and it doesn't seem like these Florida greens are a problem, at least a particular problem for Keegan Bradley. So with the ball striking that he has, even if he's a zero putter, which is great for Keegan Bradley, but he's been better than that lately. But even if he's a zero putter, I think he pays off this price tag pretty easily. So I'm I'm really big on, on Keegan Bradley. And by the way, we, we just talked about March Madness. He wears Air <laughs> Jordans. Don't you have to take him this week? <laughs> All right, let me make it a round of Keegan Bradley's here because uh, I kind of feel similar. So if you've been paying any close attention to Keegan Bradley for the last however many years, it's never an issue getting to the green. It's only an issue when you get there. Uh, He's in the midst of one of those runs right now, 14 consecutive measured events. He's gained strokes on approach, 14 measured events in a row. He's gained strokes in ball striking. That's off the tee plus approach. It's phenomenal. And he's gained on the putting surfaces in two straight. So I went back and I was looking at the other times he did this. And I couldn't find another time he did back-to-back weeks. Sometimes he would do back-to-back events. Sometimes he would do back-to-back measured events where there'd be an unmeasured event in the middle. And I could only find one other time in his career where he had three consecutive events where he had gained strokes putting. So Greg, we could argue this is an outlier. He is in uncharted territory. It's not going to happen, but I don't know. I'm I maybe I'm just an optimist, but I think that Keegan is kind of interesting in this spot. Well, Sia, Sia brought it up, right? It's the Florida Greens. And this is exactly why you see Lee Westwood contending. It's why Sergio Garcia is contending. It's why you're seeing team no putt do well in Florida. Because that's because the greens are flatter. They're easier and ball striking becomes more demanding. So he is less likely to uh, put himself out of the tournament with a shot from tee to green. And he's less likely to three putt at the same time. So, uh, and again, when you're dealing with a golf course where an eight underscore can win, you don't have to fill it up on the greens. You can lose two strokes to the field putting on Sunday. You just have to hit it like JT and, and you can still win. I'm looking at the rest of this $8,000 range. Um, Brendan Steele is always going to be interesting to me. He's been making cuts and especially playing well at some of these more difficult events. Now he gets a little bit of a softer field like we saw at the Sony Open where he was, I mean, he was leading that thing with like nine holes to go. Um, Cam Davis worries me as I'm so bullish on Cameron Davis, but he has just absolutely sprayed it at TPC Sawgrass. He sprayed it at Bay Hill. I'm going to just wait till we get out of the Florida swing to get back on Cameron Davis. 
I'm looking at the bottom of this range. See, you know, we always kind of say Bermuda Benny at 8,000 bucks is, is a better surface form. If you want to say team, no putt, but I, I don't know anybody else here. Polter for telly moving the needle. Yeah, I, Fratelli and Poulter are interesting, especially when we consider the wind component this week. Um, and Fratelli hasn't been that bad lately. Uh, Fratelli would probably be the only guy I'd be interested in. I think that's a fair price, price for him. And, and I think he's the type, and Poulter too, but Fratelli I like a little bit better. I think he's the type of guy that he just sort of randomly shows up on leaderboards, you know, once every six or seven tournaments. And uh, I, th- there's some attraction there because of that price tag. Let's jump into the... 8,000 or excuse me, $7,000 range. So 7,900 is JT Poston. It is Russell Knox. It goes all the way down. This is, this is your big boy, Greg. This is the one that gets everybody's here. Uh, Chez Reavy, Lucas Glover, Mark Hubbard, Patrick Rogers, and Tom Lewis are the bottom of this range. Pick me out a couple of guys and tell me where we should go. Um, so I want to get your thoughts on JT Poston because I'm I'm not sure where to go uh, with with JT Poston. But guys that I really do like, Brandon Wu is one, and I think he'll be very uh, undervalued in this field. But he's one of those guys that's had great success on the Corn Ferry Tour. He was he came in seventh at the Puerto Rico Open. He was second on the Corn Ferry Tour at the Orange County National Championship. Tenth at the Savannah Golf Championship. The guy's been playing on some tours we're less familiar with. And don't forget about the Corn Ferry Tour Championship where he won. And the lines between the Corn Ferry Tour and the PGA Tour are as blurry as ever um, because you have the Scotty Schefflers, the Sung JMs, who's a champion of this event now. Um, you have those types of players. Matthew Neesmith, past couple of weeks, he's broken my heart, but he's another one of those Corn Ferry Tour players that's showing he belongs out here on the PGA Tour. And it wouldn't surprise me if Brandon Wu was the next one to come out. So I, I like taking a chance on him in this range. The other guy that really interests me is Adam Hadwin. Uh, Adam Hadwin's working with Mark Blackburn, who is becoming a very popular coach on the PGA Tour down in Alabama, and he is doing a great job. And um, and he posted some videos of Hadwin's swing, and it's just it's looking a lot better. That's all I got to say. So you, this is a guy who works with Max Homa and Charlie Hoffman, who's starting to play a little better, and some other guys that are playing really well. And I think there might be a little uh, Blackburn kind of uptick going on here. So I, I'm looking at Adam Hadwin, um, and I think he's due for um, I, I think he's due for a, a, a nice little run here. To pile on to the Brandon Wu stuff, uh, I couldn't agree more. Listen, I'm, I'm not going to die on the Brandon Wu Hill this week that like he's going to win this golf tournament, but I want that thousand percent agree with the blurred lines. You know, we, we talk so often how deep the bottom of the PGA tour is, how deep the corn Ferry tour is. And remember in 2020, no PGA tour player lost their card, which means there wasn't that natural graduating class from the corn Ferry tour, which means that there were players who probably should have been on the PGA tour. A la will Zalatoris. Now Zalatoris came up and, and did his thing. And now he's got a special temporary membership and he's playing a lot and all that good stuff. But there are other players like that. And I don't know if it's going to be woo this week, but he finished seventh at Puerto Rico. And that is, I think, a really sharp take to look at some of these guys that are having some success down on the corn ferry. And and then I start looking at these other guys, Sia. And, you know, I I think Kevin or excuse me, uh, I do like Kevin Stroman, but HV3 is is the name that I was looking at, um, who I think is is most interesting to me. I went back to. I think it was the last two seasons I went back and I just ran the T to green numbers and the, the best guys in T to green are like, it's like Russell Henley, number one in this field. And then HV three and HV three is significantly cheaper. It's, it's always going to rely, rely on the putter a little bit, uh, but he's played okay recently. Yeah. And he's made three cuts in a row and I believe he's made, it's looking like at least, yeah, four cuts in a row at this event. Now he's usually not finishing very high. Um, but you know, making the cut here is, is going to be pretty big, especially when you're in that mid seven K range. So I like HV three, a couple of the guys I like, you mentioned him, Kevin Streelman. I, I like, I mean, I think maybe missing the cut last week might keep ownership down a little bit. Uh, his track record here isn't particularly good. So that could keep ownership down, but I do think he's a good course fit. Uh, Ryan Moore, I think is, is kind of, sneaky. I, don't, I say he's sneaky. Maybe other people don't think he's sneaky at all, but 
he's starting the form is starting to come back the Ryan Moore of like three four years ago when the ball striking was typically there I think he might be finding that again so I think Ryan Moore is a really good price and I think ownership won't be super high on him a couple other guys I like that are more sort of in the dart throw low owned category I know Greg mentioned him last week and he's been featured on this show a few times from both me and Greg is Michael Thompson. Uh, I also think James Hahn showed us a lot last week and he showed us a lot really since uh, the post winter break. So I think James Hahn, I, you know, it's a little dart throwish. I mean, he could completely unravel, but I suppose so could everybody else in the seven K range, but Ryan Moore, Kevin Streelman, and I think HV three are probably my top three guys in this range. We got to talk about Phil Mickelson. Uh, he's right in the middle of this. He is 7,400. And Greg, I look at the metrics and I see a guy who was marvelous with his approach shots last week. He gained nearly four and a half shots on the field at the Players' Championship, which was his best single tournament in the last season and a half. Um, this is one of those weird ones where we have to decide whether that is an outlier or whether that is things to come for Phil Mickelson. I would argue it is probably an outlier, uh, but I would like to hear your thoughts on this. Oh man. I, you know, <laughs> he, he's one of my, I love Phil Mickelson, right? I love, oh, watching him. I love following him on Twitter, <laughs> but he's one of my least favorite guys to talk about here. Cause you remember Rick, I mean, you remember what happened last year where we had Phil Mickelson takes on this podcast. Yeah. That almost uh, burned us in a big way, dude. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so look, he's a hall of famer already. Literally he's in the hall of fame and he's won five majors and 43 times on the PGA tour. He can, he can do it. It's there's magic in Phil Mickelson, but uh, unfortunately I think you're relying on magic and I don't think it's a good setup for him. Uh, I, I think there's way too many, there's way too much, uh, a way too big of a penalty for miss. And that's ultimately the biggest thing. And for a guy that has made a career on, uh, on gambling off the tee, gambling at going at pins into greens and, and saving himself with his skill set around the greens, that's really hard to do around here. Sometimes you can't save yourself from, uh, from the bottom of a pond and it's just hard to do. And and there's a lot of that out here. So, <laughs> from the bottom of a yeah, pond. <laughs> so, and notice I said sometimes because it can be done. And, <laughs> Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm kind of out on Phil. I am happy see, uh, to like never get any more exposure to Phil. I, I won. Listen, I think, I think him winning the match. What was that? Three, uh, with, with Charles Barkley was like the biggest bet I've ever made getting a uh, plus money on the professional in a, in an amateur game. I'm happy to like, never have to deal with betting or rostering Phil Mickelson again, and just living off of the glory of that, of that one day. And it's win-win, right? Because if <laughs> Phil does well in this particular tournament where there's not a lot of star power, it's like, cool, Phil is contending. Phil's in the top 20. This is interesting. But I don't also want to have him in DraftKings or FanDuel or whatever because, again, it could unravel so quickly with Phil. And he's he's showed no level of consistency, at least not on this tour, for me to be like, yeah, I, I, like give me a share of Phil. It's just not going to happen. Anybody else in this seven thousand dollar range? Oh, Greg looks like he's got. Somebody. I got one other guy. Okay, and this is it. Phil Mickelson's a perfect segue to this guy, Rick. You should oh, be playing this guy every week. It's Johnny Vegas, right? Johnny? I, I play Johnny Vegas a lot. <laughs> yeah, and he's worth playing. I think he's worth playing this week. He's got a really nice history for a place. Florida golf courses tend to not have very sticky course history. Right, guys will win and miss the cut, and they'll. Uh, you, I mean, you could see what happened this past week at the players. JT was, you know, a, a, a great little stretch on Friday afternoon away from missing a cut. That's what, what got him across the line. So, but Johnny Vegas was 27th last year, 16th the year before that, tied fourth in 2017. I think he has some good history. He likes the place and he's a great driver of the golf ball, which I, I think is a big advantage here. He's seventh in strokes gain off the tee. Worry about his approach game a little bit, but he's also confident. He came in second place at the Puerto Rico Open, and he played last week, although he didn't play great. He did make the cut. So he got four rounds in and just kind of held steady around uh, around par. I think he was a couple over for the week. He came in tied 60. Yeah, he was two over for the week last week with the 74 on Sunday. I still think Johnny Vegas is is confident. 
to the $6,000 range and let's drop down here and see where we can find some value. And the, the $7,000 range is massive. The $6,000 range is even bigger. So you're probably going to be dipping your toe into uh, both of these ranges. And it starts with Cameron Percy, Denny McCarthy, Jim Furyk. That's an eclectic group and it goes all the way down. Let's see who the min price is this week. Ooh, Hank Lebiota, who I believe his real name is actually Henry Lebiota. That's a fun fact. Hunter Mahan, Jimmy Walker, uh, Martin Trainer again, Michael Kim, VJ Singh. Interesting, interesting. See a $6,000 range. Hit me. Cam Percy, we, we talk about him a lot. He's just a good ball striker. I, I think we need to start accepting the fact that he's just an above average golfer. And in this field, I think you're getting a decent price for Cam Percy. I know that sounds weird to say with Cam Percy on the back end of that sentence. But again, I just think we're undervaluing some of these golfers that aren't like super sexy names or, or they don't necessarily top 10. But he doesn't need to, to top 10 to pay off his price here. Another guy I like that I think is a little sneaky and has been gaining on approach that the five tournaments he's played this year he's gained on approach in every single one and i think it's the guy yeah it is the guy that the the regular golf name guy you tell me who it is oh hold on tom hoagie no close it has to be more regular than that sky around no it's 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 scott stallings isn't don't you guys have the sorry 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 i thought you meant like yeah yeah no scott stallings is our default average golfer that we reference constantly i was thinking what is like the most boring name i could find so i thought it was scott yeah i was uh, with you rick (laughs) well we decided a few weeks back that that was doug gim if you recall or at least i decided that no there's way more boring names than that even like um sam Ryder's pretty boring uh, Austin Cook, that's a really boring one. There's some other boring ones more than Doug Gim. Gim has a silent letter in there. That can't be boring. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay. Uh, but I, I do. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. I'm actually thinking back because when I disparaged Doug Gim, uh, this is like about, about his name. He's actually been red hot ever since. And I don't know if you guys <laughs> recall, but three weeks ago, I also disparaged Denny McCarthy when we were talking about good Florida putters. Remember? And I said we were talking about Sam Burns and how he's actually the, the best putter because Denny McCarthy. McCarthy never makes the cut. You yeah. realize since that moment, Sam Burns hasn't made a cut, I believe. And Denny McCarthy has been on fire. Those two traded bodies. As soon as I made that comment, I just think that's interesting. The next guy disparaged, make sure you put some cash on him. <laughs> uh, Denny McCarthy, who I, I actually wonder, is he in the, I think he's in the six thousand. Yeah, he's 6,900. I wonder how people are going to react to this because, uh, okay, what always happens, and I can tell this by the, the amount of tweets that I get is like, if, if, any no name starts fast. Everyone thinks that was like an amazing week. So Denny McCarthy gets out to a hot start. He goes 69, 69, including an ace. And people are like, oh, it's Denny week. It's Denny week. He was brutal on the weekend. Uh, he ended up finishing 55th. And like, listen, aces are a lot of skill. They are a lot of luck as well. Like it, it just it's it's really weird, a weird dynamic, Greg, that I think people like are going to assume Denny McCarthy had a much better week than I actually think he did. Yeah. Well, you pick a guy like, uh, like Denny McCarthy and you're hoping that he makes the cut. And when you see him near the top of the leaderboard, even for a moment, you're right, Rick, it's automatically a great week. Cause you got that <laughs> thrill. You got the thrill of it's Denny week. You got to say, yeah. and then you get disappointed to say, well, it's Denny McCarthy. He's not good. What, what did I expect? <laughs> so it's easy to kind of write that off. Um, uh, yeah. It, the, the hole in one is a huge factor in this. I'm personally staying away because of that. I, um, the greens last week were also just so not that they won't be at Honda, but they were so good. I, I think it set up really nicely for him on the greens. Um, but it, I, I mentioned Tom Hoagie already, and I, I really do like him this week. Um, he's a, he's a really nice iron player. He went through a stretch where he missed a number of cuts in a row, but he came in 12th at the AT&T Pebble Beach Pro-Am, and he was 22nd last week. His worst round was 72. I, I really I think he's hitting the ball really nicely, and I like Tom Hoagie in the 6K range. He's done well for me in the past. He's 38th strokes gain approach the green so far this year. I think he'd be a really nice fit. Got to give a shout out to Wes Bryan, who doesn't play often, but when he does, he hits his approaches well. That's the big thing that he has going for him. I'm trying to see who else in this $6,000 range see that I would be comfortable playing. And comfortable is kind of a relative term, especially this week with the way that the field drops off. But man, I I don't know if I'd want to go below... Maybe it is Scott Stallings at 6,500. That that might be the lowest I'd be willing to go. 
Yeah, and I looked, and, and I don't think I'd want to go lower than that either. I mean, Rob Oppenheim is $100 more than Scott Stallings. I think that's an interesting name to consider. Um, outside of that, you're really in dart throw categories with when you're talking about the rest of the guys. I mean, Tyler Duncan is down here at 6400 He's obviously hit or miss, mostly mostly miss, but statistically, you know, he he's a decent option. He's usually very good on approach and, and decent enough off the tee. What, uh, what's McCumber at? I think he's at 64 right? Tyler yes. Oh, yes. Tyler yes. McCumber, 64. I, I'd he's, be comfortable going with Tyler McCumber. Yeah, dude, he's a grinder, man. I yeah. mean, that, like the, the 22nd last week, he was, um, he still has that thing. He's still, he's like all bandaged up, right? Still, did you see, did you see any yeah. of the shots from last week? Yeah, I did. It, it, he is. <clears throat> and it, look, that can, it can go one of two ways, as you know. It can go pretty good. It can go pretty poorly. But I think when he gets confident, he can really compete. He he had two in a row earlier in the year um, at the Corrales Punta Cana Resort and Club Championship. He came in second. I had to say the full name. I was waiting uh, at for At the it. Sanderson Farms Championship, he came and tied sixth the very next week. So I think he's the kind of guy that could be streaky, and, and this could be the start of a little uptick for him. As you see, you're probably the only one who started tinkering lineups already on a on a Monday afternoon. Have you kind of gone more towards a, a stars and scrubsy, a, a balance build? What are we thinking for this week? I'd call it a, a hybrid build because I did dip into the 6K range once, but I didn't necessarily have to. And, and I think that the 6K guy that I took was actually Scott Stallings. But I... I I took one from the 10K range. I took one from the 9K range. And then I just tried to make some semblance of cut makers beyond that. So it was like low 8K, mid 7K, low 7K is where my focus was at that point. Sian, would you say you go more? You said the word cut makers. I know that we have some, like, like I'll ask Rick this every once in a while. Rick, you always seem to be really aggressive and take guys that you think can, yeah, you <laughs> I just take go guys that it. can win. You go for the flag, <laughs> yeah. right? That's why Sung JM's your favorite. Right. So, Sia, would you say you're looking more in the risky picks for guys that you think can win or guys that are just going to get you points on Saturday and Sunday? Yeah, so typically I'm riding the upside guys, which I think you're saying is what Rick normally does. But this particular week, and honestly last week too, I'm really looking for cut makers. I'm really trying to play it kind of like with safe lines. Like last week I was, I was trying, you know, Matthew Fitzpatrick was in my lineup. Like, you know, Jason Day, guys that I don't think have the upside as some of the guys that were next to them, but I thought, okay, these guys can make the cut. Webb Simpson was one of my guys. I thought he was super safe. Of course, that didn't yeah. work out for me. But the point is for this particular tournament, because there's so many hazards, for this particular week, I'm focused on cut makers and hopefully they get upside from there. Hopefully I can just find upside once they make the cut. I try to hit that one square yard landing spot, Greg. I just fire. I got, I got to squeeze it in there. Find a f- throw a dart. See what I can find. That's like Phil I Mickelson, go. right? You, you might yeah. win 43 times, but uh, <laughs> it, you're, there's going to be a lot of disaster in between. I'm just going to have a lot of weekends off. Right. Like I'm, I'm going to have a lot of weekends <laughs> off. I'm going to have a lot of time to spend, you know, outside playing my own golf. But, right. Uh, yeah. If you're going to work Saturday and Sunday, it's for a big check, not a little. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. Right. <laughs> uh, all right, gentlemen. Fun as always. That concludes our DFS preview for this week's Honda Classic. Uh, Producer Jacob, thank you very much for all your hard work behind the scenes. Sia Najad is available on Twitter at Sia Najad. Greg Ducharme is available at The Real GFD. And you can find me at Rick Run Good. This has been the first cut. And we'll catch you next time. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.